Hello, people of the world. My name is Nick Sararis. This is the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. It's a very exciting weekend of football. I'm recording this introduction here at halftime of Ravens-Browns because, you know, recorded podcast earlier in the day, but then I got caught up working on other things. So recording the introduction before I get to the fun part. Got to remind everyone, you can find this podcast on every major streaming platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Podcast Service. If it's not on a streaming service you'd like to use, by all means, let me know. I can get you a, I can put the RSS feed up on a better, on the streaming service you prefer. Now that I've covered that, we are just about a week and a half, nine days away from the return of the NBA. And with that, I felt it was only right to have the first basketball-centric episode of the podcast. Kind of a little set in the scene, a little dip our toes into the NBA waters. And to do that, I went and reached out to one of my favorite Twitter mutuals and someone I call a friend at this point because of how long we've been talking on and off on Twitter for this long. He's formerly of Gotham where I currently write. He uh, used to occupy the seat I do at Gotham. He used to be the Rangers writer. Well, with that, that little introduction, this episode about the Golden State Warriors was very fun to record. Fitz is a great conversation, and basketball is easily the best sport to talk about in this way because it lends itself to analysis because of the ease of access, the ease of information, how easy it is to watch games, highlights, things like that. And it's one of the topics we get into towards the end, because we're both hockey guys, about how much basketball is just easier to consume than hockey. I will see you guys on the other side of the drop with Fitz. Surrounded, finds Draymond Green. Green to the basket, picks it out of Gadala. Thompson for three. Five, 17 points in the fourth quarter of game six. This crowd absolutely stunned. And... With that, I welcome on one of the OGs of the Twitter game. How are we doing, Fitz? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm very happy. We had a good weekend of football. We got basketball on the horizon. Basketball, hockey is hopefully not too far away. We've got college basketball kind of getting into some semblance of a rhythm. We're getting there. It, it, it feels a lot better than it did in the middle of the summer when it looked like we didn't know what was going to happen. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it just seeing the the NBA coming back and college basketball coming back has been has been great. Like, it, hopefully, hockey gets its its shit together soon yeah. and comes back soon. But uh, it's it's I'm telling you, having the NBA back's been great. Even watching just preseason games has been a lot of fun. So I'm I'm hyped. It's it's weird for sure that like everything's going to be going on at like the same time again, even though it's not what we're used to. But like, at least we'll have a. It's looking like we'll have a full winter with basketball and hockey at least and then you know as of now it looks like baseball will be starting regularly on time so you know things are starting to get back to normal a little bit thank god this is the first basketball episode i've done on the upper bowl gm podcast and i wanted to bring you on to talk about one of the more compelling teams your favorite team the golden state warriors because of how interesting this decade has been for them and where they are now. So I'm just going to try run back the clock a little bit 
Tell me how you ended up with the Warriors as your favorite basketball team. Was this the Baron Davis, Don Nelson Warriors? <laughs> what, what kind? How'd you get into them? So for me, it goes back to even before like this current area era of Warriors was even in the league. So like I before I'm, I'm a Syracuse grad, um, but before I went there, like as most people who follow me on Twitter know, like, I'm not a big Jim Beheim fan at all. I've always hated him and I used to hate Syracuse, honestly. So like I was a big Michigan State fan growing up. Um, and I used to watch, you know, my dad's like a former basketball player. He doesn't watch the NBA. He's one of those old head like, you know, they don't. They don't, they don't do post-ups anymore. There's no, there's no pocket passes, all that nonsense from old people. So like we watched college basketball in my house a lot growing up. Um, and we both were huge Draymond Green fans. Like I love Draymond in college. He's been my guy for a long time. And then obviously Steph, like, you know, his March Madness runs are like legendary. Um, those, those two years with Davidson, when he was, you know, came onto the scene in the tournament, you just, it's hard not to fall in love with him back then, like back, Back in the day, Steph Curry had the highest Q rating probably of any athlete I've ever seen. Um, so, like, they get to the NBA. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm an NBA fan. My group of friends growing up, like, I had, like, three or, three or four who were big, big LeBron guys, a couple others who were big Kobe guys, and then, like, one of my other good friends was a big KD guy. And I kind of just watched just the games in general. Like, I didn't have a rooting interest. I just liked watching the bat basketball like if I had to pick a team I was like a big dunking guy I like the Spurs I like the way they play so but then uh it's actually funny this ties back to hockey too so 2012-13 um my senior year of high school the Rangers were the, the NHL was in the lockout that year so there's no hockey on like the entire fall and pretty much up until the beginning of the winter um there was just no hockey so like I was watching a lot of NBA that was the year the Knicks were the two seed Mm-hmm. And I, I loved watching that Knicks team, you know, Melo playing the four, um, you know, they, they were paced in space before, like they set the record for three pointers in a season that time. Like they were a lot of fun to watch. So I was watching a lot of Knicks games. I'm a big Melo guy. I love him. And that was his best season as a pro, in my opinion. Um, then in, in February, there's this, there's this game against the Warriors I'm sitting in my house. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll turn it on. And Steph drops 53, I think, in the garden. They lost. The Knicks won the game. But Steph dropped the 53. And I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm like, I have never seen someone do what this guy's doing on NBA court right now. And after that, I'm just like, you know what? I'm in. I'm in. This is, this is my team. I've never had an NBA team. Never had a guy I've gone, like, all in on. But <clears throat> these, these are my guys. Like, I'm going with them. So then the next year uh, is, is my freshman year of college. Obviously, I'm like – all out of sorts staying up till two three in the morning every night and they're west coast team so they were on all the time and i just watched like 70 of their games that year you know and and they lost in the first round of the clippers and i'm like ah you know like maybe they'll be like a perennial western conference finalist team and like because like the year before the the they beat the nuggets they were the sixth seed they gave the spurs like a pretty good run for their money in the second round um and I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe they could reach a finals or something like that. And then 2014-15 comes, and and the rest is is history there. But, yeah, that's how it all started with them for me. It was just, honestly, the NHL lockout is really what what did it. And uh, thank God they did because watching that team play is giving me no, more joy than any of my other sports teams over the past six, seven years of my life. It sounds like you have it figured out like the way that Trill does, where it's like, I don't have a favorite team. I just like to watch the sport. Yeah. And occasionally, if a team is interesting enough, I'll adopt them for this year. 
it, it makes life a little less stressful and it allows you to have more fun to be quite frank i've had oh yeah like like if the warriors like when steph and clay and draymond and all them are gone like i'll probably i've already put my flag in my second favorite team me and the grizzlies so like i'm gone <laughs> and triple j and like those are my other guys so like I, i'm i'm 100 with the true withers way of like why root for franchises like they just make you miserable all the time i mean me and you can attest to that as rangers fans <laughs> like, yeah i there's, mean there's nothing I, i've had two good knicks years in my entire life and like don't get me wrong the knicks tape knicks were fun it was very fun having 38 year old jason kidd playing key <laughs> minutes and second round series against indiana I'm still mad at Roy Hibbert for ending uh, that run single-handedly by stuffing Mello at the Mello was never the same after that, man. <laughs> that broke him. That broke uh. him. It makes for interesting conversation because I want the first thing I wanted to ask you was, if Steph is drafted by the Knicks that year, is he actually good, or did they just never teach him how to walk and he's just, you know, the long running of Knicks draft picks who, for one reason or another, never actually turned into anything? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm on like the camp of like, if, if, if guys are that good, they will, they'll figure it out no matter where they're drafted. But the Knicks are an exception to that rule. And especially with Steph, because like the first three years of his career are just marred by injuries. Like you saw it, you saw the, like the, 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 the greatness, like you could see it, like, but he couldn't stay on the floor and like his ankles were a legitimate problem. And, you know, lucky for them, they were out in the Bay and they had, they got bought by the Lakobs and they are like big tech guys. So they put a lot of resources into like player health and player development. And they, like, like you mentioned too, they basically retaught him how to walk. Like he, he had to relearn how to jump and run and do all that stuff. And it basically saved his career. So like if, if he ends up with the Knicks, I, I don't think he's what he is today. I really don't. And like, that sucks to say, but the Knicks just ruin everything they touch. Okay, this is a beautiful segue because I remember a few months ago when the coaching carousel was going on, I had DM'd you being like, is Mark Jackson really as bad <laughs> yes. as everyone says he is as a head coach? Because they were the talking thread, about right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so give me the brief synopsis of the one story, the key story that we, we talked about. And because I thought it was fake, to be honest with you. <laughs> so please enlighten the people out there who don't know the Mark Jackson, Steph Curry story. Yeah, yeah, it's it's on it's it's like honestly, if like you said, it looks fake when you read it. So like Steph's ankles, he was having problems. Mark Mark Jackson gets hired, and like as everyone knows, Mark Jackson is very religious, um, which is like fine. You be religious, I'm I'm with it. Um, but he he brought Steph to like his church, and had his ankles like blessed or some shit like that. And like first of all, that's hysterical. Like that's that's what my grandma did to me with my car when I got into an accident one time. She brought it to the church to get blessed. But, like, I'm not an NBA player, so it's, like, understandable. Um, it, it's, like, wild. The, the Mark Jackson stuff is – I always laugh when his name gets brought up with, like, the coaching stuff. And, like, like he, he deserves credit for building the defense because what people will never remember about the Warriors teams because, like, Steph Clay, obviously when KD was there, the offense was so beautiful and it was so much fun to watch. But they were the best defensive team in the league for four out of the five years they made the – the finals and even before that they were top 10 when Jackson was still the coach so he set the foundation for how they were going to defend um you know like the switching defense but he he held them back because he basically used Steph like he was Aaron Aflalo or something or like <laughs> or like how the Heat used Duncan Robinson now you know like he didn't have the ball in his hands enough Draymond didn't play under Mark Jackson and 
and if we, we could get into luck talk with everything because the Warriors had a ton of luck on their way to this. The luckiest thing was Kerr's first year as coach. David Lee gets hurt in training camp. He was their starting four. They had to start Draymond, and they basically luck into the death lineup. Yeah. So, like, they, they end the death lineup, the original death lineup was Draymond, Iguodala, Harrison Barnes, Clay, and Steph. And that doesn't happen if David Lee doesn't, like, break his hip. So, like, you know, I, I was laughing when people talk about, like, luck with rebuilds and stuff like that. That's just how it is. You need luck along the way. You know, like, the, the best lineup that changed the sport, essentially, was all luck. It, it doesn't happen without luck. So, you know, the, the, the Mark Jackson held them back from being what they could have been. Like, people say Steve Kerr is an overrated coach, and I, I tend to agree. He is, like, you know, you're only as good as your players in the NBA as a coach unless you're Popovich or like, you know, Red Auerbach or whatever. Um, but, you know, Kerr realized what he had with Steph and Clay. He realized once they got Draymond into the starting lineup that like, okay, we're on to something here. So like, we're going to build this around these guys. Like, you know, no more Jared Jack or Carl Landry handling the ball and like running Steph and Clay all over the place. We're going to give Draymond Green the ball in those situations who is like one of the most unique players in the league. We're going to run those guys off each other. We're going to, and the, the funny thing about another segue here, but uh, when the Knicks hired Phil Jackson, I used to always talk with Jeremy Cohen, who used to work at Gotham. Uh, and he, me and him always would say like, the funniest thing about the Warriors offense is that people don't realize that it's just a modernized version of the triangle. It's basically, you, you have two guys on one side, three guys on the other running off each other, but instead of, you know, hunting for mid range shots and layups, you're hunting for threes and layups because you have uh, the two greatest shooters of all time. So, you know, the, the, the change from, from, from Jackson to Kerr was, was huge, but a little overstated, but at the same time, like Mark, they're not what they were. If Mark Jackson was the coach, no shot. Yeah. And it's, a, it brings, it brings me to a good point you made about Draymond being so unique because basketball is the one sport I don't know the technical X's and O's stuff as well as I do the other ones. So I've always kind of leaned on the media resources to kind of understand it a little better, get a better feel for that. And we clown him now because he's like painfully out of touch. But when Draymond first broke out, broke out, Simmons was the one banging the drum that this guy is one of the most unique, if not the unique players in the entire league. And that first year where they really exploded, he was banging the drum that Draymond is, should have won MVP that year where he was almost averaging a triple double. Yeah. Where... He, he was fantastic. Those first two years. Like I, I, in, in my lifetime in like my basketball watch from what I remember, I've never seen a defensive player as good as him. Never. Cause he, his help defense, the way he protects the rim as a guy who's only six, seven was insane. And like, like you said, he gets clowned now, like to Charles Barkley, the, the triple single thing was hysterical. Jeremiah's uh, 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 my guy, but that was fun. funny. He's funny. Um, but you know, those he, I always viewed in terms of obviously the debate if Draymond could carry his own team should have been dead a while ago. And if, if you didn't believe it before, then last year just kind of reinforced it. But he takes a team and raises their ceiling. Mm -hmm. Like he took the Warriors from like a nice playoff team, second, third round, maybe, and raised their ceiling to championship level, you know, and, and, and he's, he's, I love him. And I, I really hope that he bounces back this year because. I still think he has some stuff left in the tank. Um, the, the 2019 series against the Blazers uh, when KD was out, the Western Conference Finals, was the 2016 version of Draymond Green. And I was, I, talk, I, I follow a lot of Warriors fans on Twitter and we talk all the time. And I was like, 
that's what gives me hope that that guy is still there somewhat. And, you know, he basically had an off year last year. They all did. It, it, it's, it's brutal that Clay is out. But, you know, they are just from watching their first preseason game the other night, like they're going to be a very good defensive team. And they didn't even have Draymond or Wiseman playing. So, like, they, he's, he's key. And they need him. They need him to be what he was in 2015 and 2016. So a good way to wrap up the pre-Durant era is me asking you, We, I've been saying for years that if Draymond doesn't get suspended in that series against the Cavs, they win that series in six games easily. And it's funny because I was talking to my girlfriend about this. She doesn't watch basketball in the slightest bit. She goes, why does everyone make fun of Draymond on Twitter? And I go, he acts funny. He's always been a little bit arrogant, a little bit of a dickhead, and it rubs people the wrong way. And she goes, what's he most known for? And I'm like, all right. And I show her the clip of him punching LeBron in the dick. (laughs) And she goes, LeBron didn't get in trouble for stepping over him. I'm like, no. no, Your girlfriend's smart. Yeah. yeah, None of that happens if LeBron doesn't step over him. It's it's infuriating. Yeah. So I'll start with the Durant discussion with part one. How did you feel about it happening at the time? Was it just like, all right, we're the bad guys now. We're going to run everyone off the floor and this is going to be fun. So I, I will never, ever, ever forget. So I was, I was at my friend's house. I was home from college. I think I was going into my senior year. We had like a party at one of my friend's houses. My other buddy, who's like the big KD fan, is talking about like he's staying with the Thunder. It's the night before July 4th. So he mm. signs the morning of July 4th. So it's July 3rd at like midnight, 1 a.m. And he's like, you know, there's no way he leaves. Why would he ever go to the Warriors? Like, that makes no sense. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I have a smirk on my face because I saw that night Haralabob, Haralabob Vulgaris tweeted something like, the league is done. Like, it's a rap, like a very cryptic tweet. So I think someone had basically told, tipped him off. And I was like, oh, okay. So like, this is actually happening. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's wait and see. You guys don't think he's going there? I'm like, he's going there. So I loved it. I was like, first of all, um, the cap spike that year was ridiculous. Yeah. Like every team had a chance to sign Kevin Durant and a lot of teams met with him. I mean, I know the Celtics met with him, uh, the Warriors, the Thunder, obviously. And I think there was one other team, might've been the Lakers or the Clippers. And he was basically like, why would I ever sign with these other teams? Like the, the Hamptons five is like the famous thing now. So like Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Iguodala all went with Bob Myers and Lacob and Kerr to go meet with KD and the Hamptons, and they basically sold them on it. And 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 they were all and, and the big the big one was Jerry West because he was mm-hmm. still with the Warriors at the time. He's the one who drafted Clay, Steph. He basically said he was going to quit if they traded Clay and Draymond for Kevin Love um, way back in the day, and basically he was the one who sold KD on it. He was like look like I won one championship and I lost nine and like I have regrets about it every day Uh, he was like do you want to be one of those guys who has regrets and so when he signed I was hyped I was like this is going to be the best basketball we ever watched and guess what it was that first year they were together was in my opinion in in my lifetime at least it's no question they're the best team I've ever seen they were unbelievable and it was just so beautiful to watch like that that's the thing that like as they got the second and third years they kind of you know, morphed into more ISO ball and KD wanted his shots. But like that first year, they were all bought in. Everyone was humming. Like 
they, they went 15 and one in the playoffs. They should have won 16 and 0. The, the game three against the Cavs was like one of the all time officiating, like wink, wink jobs, I think of all time. Um, but yeah, it, it was great. Like I was so happy. I was like, this is great. I was like, this, they're going to, they're going to roll off two or three in a row, at least until he leaves again. And, you know, all the LeBron fans got mad. And like, that's why you see on Twitter now, like the, the vitriol, I don't even think it's vitriol. It's more, everything's like fun and games on Twitter. Yeah. No one really hates anyone, but like the LeBron's fan base's hatred for the Warriors and Steph specifically is that when LeBron went back to Cleveland after they got their, the heat got their doors blown off by the Spurs, which never gets talked about enough, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, he went back to Cleveland and that was supposed to be his, his five year period to run up everything, run up the rings, run up the MVPs, run up the, accolades everything and then all of a sudden this team from the bay this built team comes out of nowhere and basically takes it away so like you know the the 3-1 the 3-1 blown lead will be what is remembered the most from those four finals but to me the what will be remembered in my mind is that i got to watch the best basketball team ever play you know the most talented team ever so like when even when KD signed i was like this is just going to be awesome like, I just can't wait. It's going to be so much fun to watch. And I, I watched every single game that first year KD was on the Warriors. It was, it was appointment, it was appointment viewing. You couldn't, if you, if you like good basketball, you wanted to watch them play. And like, that's what my, even my friends who were like fans of other teams in the NBA and other players, they were like, yeah, I don't like it, but it's so much fun to watch that. Like, I can't even hate on it that much. Yeah. The interesting thing is that, the Warriors went from being the baby faces when they first started playing well and they had that first breakout year, they won the title, then they had the crazy 73-9 and nine year, and everyone loved it. And then it, it just kind of turned when Durant came and they became the bad guys. And now it kind of feels like it's a little different now, like present day, because of where they are in the pecking order and how we still kind of are doing the thing where we think the Clippers are going to be okay. Yeah, but it's, it's unbelievable. It's, I'm just upset we're not going to get to play. We're not going to get the Warriors-Lakers conference finals we should have gotten this year, where I don't know if the Warriors could, in their current state could beat the Lakers, but I think they have the best chance of any team in the West to give them a hard time. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes the clay injury so so brutal. It's just like I was looking forward to Lakers-Warriors for a year now, pretty much, pretty much since Steph broke his hand. And I was like, okay, when everyone's back, like, you know, they make the trade for Wiggins. They trade D'Lo. The, basically, the, the whole thing with D'Lo is just to get something back for Durant. That's what smart teams do. You know, like the way the NBA salary cap works is like if you're over the cap and you – it's what happened with the Celtics, right? They basically lost Gordon Hayward for nothing, and you can't bring someone in because of the money, the way everything works. So, like, they got something back for KD, which was huge, and they turned it into – eventually turned into Wiggins and a couple first-round picks, which is good. And, and Wiggins, like – Ideally, he's the third scorer, you know, with Stephen Clay, and he gets to just play off those guys and like the Harrison Barnes rule. But it, it's brutal. Like they're they're a, they're like the five six seed now. You know, not I thought they were going to be two. I know yeah. everyone kept saying the Clippers and the Nuggets, and I was like, I think we're kind of forgetting who these guys were. That, that that's that's what was the funniest part to me was against the Rockets in 2019 when KD was out. And they were, they were, I'll never forget, they were eight and a half point underdogs in that game six. I, I bet on them every which way. 
And I, I just kept saying to people, I was like, are we forgetting like what this team was before Kevin Durant got here? Like I get that Draymond's fallen off a little bit, you know, but Steph Clay and Draymond, as long as those three are out there, I'll take them against anyone. They've never given me a reason not to believe in them. So, you know, I'm hoping Clay, you know, like the way KD looked last night gives me hope for Clay that he can come back and look somewhat similar to the player he was, you know, he'll never lose his shooting touch. That'll never happen. You know, he'll still be able to shoot and run the floor like he doesn't need to dribble and go to the rim like that's just not his game the defensive side is what is going to be what's going to hurt the most because like he takes it Steph has grown tremendously as a defensive player compared to where he was and he looked like Trey Young early in his career yeah and like now he's he's not great but he's adequate and he tries which is like half the battle um but Clay also would guard the best perimeter player on the other team you know so like when they would play the Blazers he would go up against Dame or when they play the Rockets, he would take turns on Harden and NCP and, you know, Booker or anybody like that. So like, that's where they're going to, that's, that's like where it's going to hurt the most for them and, and him specifically, but it's, it sucks, man. I was looking forward to the Warriors. Like I, I thought that was going to be like one of the best conference finals we've had best playoff series we've had straight up since the OKC Warriors one, mm-hmm. which is still like, it's funny you mentioned when when they started to turn to the villains. That's the series to me when they turned to villains because Draymond absolutely teed off on Stephen Adams is nuts like five times, <laughs> and like that's when it all kind of turned. Um, yeah. It went from basically everyone loves them, everyone loves watching them to okay, like maybe these guys aren't that great. You know, Steph chooses mouth guard a lot. Uh, Draymond's kicking people in the nuts all the time. Um, the only one not everyone loves is Clay. I've never yeah. seen someone say a bad thing about Clay. So. He's a scaffolding expert. It's important. Yeah, exactly. Dude, that's one of the greatest videos of all time. It's so funny. Uh, isn't it ironic that the Rockets tried to take the Golden State way of playing basketball, took it a little too extreme, and it didn't work for them a single time in any of the runs they had? Oh, man. The Ro- I hate the Rockets so much. <laughs> man. Uh, I'm so happy it's falling apart for them. My main, My main – I, I don't like Daryl Morey. I really don't. And, and it's not even that I don't think he's good at his job. I think he is. I think he's very, what he's done with the Sixers in like a month has been amazing. Um, my problem is that like he is clearly friendly with the media, you know, like guys like Simmons and Zach Lowe and all them. And like they basically protect him in media. Like like they they say, you know, well, like he didn't make the Chris Paul Russell Westbrook trade like he was forced to make that. I'm like, OK, like let's let's be real. He He, he wasn't forced to do that like he, he's not giving up those first round picks and shit like that like he made a bad trade it happens and, and like the same thing happened like they, they never changed their style of play ever they thought they could math their way to a championship and it didn't work so like i give them credit for going for it when the league was basically trying to wait out the warriors like that's admirable to me and they pushed them and they almost beat them and they really honestly if chris paul doesn't get hurt i think they could have beaten them mm-hmm. i really do because they they had them that series. Like the Warriors were out of sorts. You know, like they basically bait and switch them into playing a different style. Like they wanted them to throw the ball to KD in the post and play isolation basketball because that's not their game. That's the Rockets game. That's how they were beating them. You know, they were they were throwing the ball to KD, and then game six and seven they real the Warriors you know switch flip. They went back to playing, you know, ball movement, sp- pace and space. Everyone moving off the ball. You know cutting and 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 transition and and step and katie and clay just pulling up from everywhere so you know the the rockets to me like i i respect james harden he's great i hate watching him play 
I genuinely like, it's just not fun to me watching a guy dribble the ball for 20, 20 seconds and then step back or try to get fouled. Um, but it worked for them. And, and I, I think, I think Harden has a lot more to his game. It's just the way that him and Daryl Morey wanted him to play essentially, because that was their best chance to win, which is what you're supposed to do. You know, if you're a GM and a coach and a player, like find your strengths and utilize them. But it, it, I'm so happy they're falling apart. Hey, hey the, the audit from the 2018 playoffs is still like the worst thing I've ever seen in sports. Every, everything about that destroyed. That's why I, I, I always talk to the shout out to my guy, Tommy Gunn on Twitter, but we talk all the time, like the 2019 game six in the second round outside of like the title victories and, and maybe the game seven versus OKC is the most satisfying game of that entire era because the Rockets spent all year complaining about how Chris Ball got hurt, how they would have beaten them. They had the run it back slogan, you know, KD's out and they fall flat on their face at home when Steph had zero points in the first half. So like that, that game will always be to me, like just the, the quintessential game of the strength in numbers warriors and how Steph clay and Draymond basically I'll never count them out in any situation ever. So to tie a bow on the Durant era in Golden State, the way he went out sucked. No one ever wants to see anyone get hurt, go out like that. Because let's be frank here. If the Warriors are healthy, they beat the Raptors in five games. And it's not yep. it's not particularly close. How do you feel that if he doesn't get hurt, do you think there's a chance he probably stays? Do you, Or do you think he always wanted to go somewhere else and kind of make his own version of a super team? Just run me through what it was like last summer at, in your position. So I always thought he was leaving. Mm -hmm. Just just like reading the tea leaves, you know, like reading the, the beat reporters for the Warriors, like, you know, KD got testy with them a bunch his last year. He kept signing the one and ones to basically keep his options open. And I think it, it really the, the, the telltale moment was when after they won their first title and he said, like, he basically thought he was going to be proclaimed the best in the world and it didn't happen. And I think that's when it kind of set into him that like people will never give him the credit he deserves for joining that team, which is fair. It's a fair, it's a fair thing to say, but like, I always thought he was leaving. And even if they beat the Raptors with him healthy, even if they lose to the Raptors with him healthy, without him, whatever, I always thought he was leaving. You know, I thought if they three Pete, that's the perfect send off for him. They basically stamp their claim as one of like the best teams of all time. You know, they're up there with Jordan's bulls, Shaq and Kobe, you know, those Celtics teams who the, the Lakers teams in the eighties, like all that they're cemented up there. So I thought he was looking for a new challenge. I think, I do think that if he doesn't get hurt, there's a good chance he goes to the Knicks, him and Kyrie instead of the Nets. I think what happened there is that like basically KD got hurt. Him and Kyrie were always planning to team up. That was definitely always the plan. DeAndre Jordan got traded to the Knicks mm -hmm. in the KP trade and basically told them this place is a, is a shit show. It's such a horrible, horribly run organization that like even you guys can't overcome this. And I think they, they saw, you know, KD was going to miss the whole year. Uh, Kyrie, they had no other pieces to help Kyrie and Ke Kevin. Uh, so they were like, let's go to Brooklyn. We're still in a big market. They've, it's a little more low key for us. Like, you know the Nets will never win the back pages of New York. It's it's insane to me, especially you know now. Now exactly, they have two top 10, 15 players in the world on their team, and they still can barely like outdo the Knicks with anything. It's it's crazy. But I uh, I do think 
that they were, I, I, I'll, I'll just, he was always leaving. He was always leaving and it sucks because like they could have built something very special there, but on the flip side, their depth was also like just depleted by the end of the run. Like they were starting, you know, Alfonso McKinney was playing like, like big minutes for them in the, in the finals. Once, once Katie went out and like, they literally didn't have a clay backup last year. Like when, when clay was hurt, it was like Quinn cook and Jacob Evans, you know, guys who, who are not NBA rotation players, but they look like them because they were playing with Steph and clay and Draymond and KD. And, you know, that that's what it was, but you know, they, they've done a good job of basically retooling and then trying to build something for the future. Now. You think it works with them in, in Brooklyn, or do you think this is just kind of a holding pattern and we see what LeBron does? So, like, to me, they're the most talented team in the East by, by far. Like, mm-hmm. even Katie, you take away Katie and Kyrie, you still have Dinwiddie and Levert and Allen and Joe Harris. Like, those are four very good players, like rotation players in the NBA. Um, the, the thing to me with them is their defense. Like, in order to be an NBA championship team, you have to have a top 10 defense. You know, I mentioned it before with the Warriors. Like, the thing people always forget about them is they were a juggernaut defensively. Um, even before KD and when KD got there, like they were unbelievable on defense. So like, to me, that's the problem. Like their perimeter defense, the Nets is not great. Like Kyrie is a guy who, when he wants to, can be a very, very good defensive player. Uh, KD is like a, a freak defensively. Like he can protect the rim. He can guard on the perimeter. We'll see how it looks now without the, with the Achilles injury, but he looked great last night. I'll tell you that much. He looked, he looked pretty much like the same Kevin Durant. So, uh, I, I, the thing to me is like, they'll have to figure out how they play in crunch time, like what their lineups are going to be. They need, they need to find a way to keep Joe Harris on the floor because he's a guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands. And that's something that they'll have to figure out. Like, that's the thing to me, you know, going from the Warriors to the Nets, you know, Steph, Clay, even Draymond to an extent, they don't need the ball in their hands. You know, Kyrie, Levert, Dinwiddie, uh, they all kind of need the ball to, to do what they want to do. So that's another thing. I, I think it'll work though, just because like Kevin, it's fucking Kevin Durant, you know, who he is like, yeah. he told us like he's Kevin Durant. And if he's even 85% of the player he was before the injury to me there, you know, he's better than Giannis. He's better than Embiid or Simmons. He's, he's better than the Celtics guys. He's definitely better than Tatum. Like, it, the only thing will be is like how they mesh and if they can defend to me, but like talent wise, they're the best team in the East, in my opinion. Yeah. That's where kind of where I've pegged them again. It's hard to judge because we still don't know what the layout for the season is going to be. We're assuming something like what happened in baseball is going to happen at some point where teams are going to miss games because of COVID. So I'm assuming a lot of them are going to take it relatively easy, not push as hard. And it won't look pretty for a while, but by the time the playoffs come around, I would say they're probably the favorite to win the East. If they don't, it would be because they're doing a heavy load management system, that kind right. of thing. Yeah, they'll so, they'll be they'll be like a they'll be like a three seed mm-hmm. or like a four seed because they won't play. They'll rest KD a lot, and I, mm-hmm. as they should, they shouldn't rush him back. Like he signed the full four years, like him and Kyrie both. They were a package deal. It's only year two, so like this is not a blow it up right away if it doesn't work so like they need to be extremely cautious with him make sure he's feeling like himself and then go from there yeah. all right shifting gears back to your warriors how do you feel about wiseman coming in after not really having a college season because of his ineligibility problems that kind of thing 
And do you think he actually helped, or do you think he's just a chip to eventually trade for someone better? Yeah. So, so like you said, we didn't get to watch a lot of Wiseman. Like I can, I'm a big college basketball fan. I watch a lot and I only saw 20 minutes of him last yeah. year, but you know, they've always wanted a center. Like they've always wanted a, a big set. Like when they were links to Durant originally, the other guy they were looking at was Al Horford. Um, they tried to, they tried to get Dwight the year they got Iguodala. Like they've always wanted a center, um, you know, the, the thing with Wiseman is I don't think he's a trade chip. I really, I truly don't because reading what Bob Myers, their GM has said over the years, they want to be the next Spurs and to be the next Spurs, you need the, the youth coming through to support the big three you've had. So like with Tim Duncan, uh, Tony Parker and Manu, they had Kawhi, like they, they got Kawhi, they developed him and he became a huge piece to basically lift those guys up for two more years of a title run. Um, you know, then they, they supplant that they're just, they want to, the Warriors want to be the Spurs. They want to have a 20 year stretch, not just a five year stretch. So in order to do that, you have to have someone come through that you draft. And, and it's very, it's almost, you almost never see it that a team that made five straight finals all of a sudden has the second pick in the draft. So like that was a chance for them to basically get a player to as Steph Clay and Draymond age be the next generation with, you know, Wiggins and Oubre and Pascal, um, you know, all these guys that they got coming up. So I think Wiseman's here to stay. I, I think he's going to be a, their centers they've had over the past, even when they were, you know, the pre Durant, they had Bogut, you know, they had most spates, like they had more like traditional type big men, you know, that they look for high IQ guys who could pass because they like to, you know, run some of their offense out of the post. You know, you dump it down to Bogut. You run Stephen Clay off each other. You know, he was a great passer, so he could always find those guys. Uh, I think Wiseman has to develop that part of his game, but he's a rim. He's already a great rim runner. So, like Stephen Wiseman, pick and rolls. You could definitely see him playing like a Clint Capella role type early on, which is great. They need that. Uh, he needs to develop definitely on the defensive end. I, we haven't even seen him on the floor yet, and because he's got COVID, he's either has it or he's like on the protocol. He, he has a practice yet so I think Wiseman is going to be a building block for them I think they view him as one I think them not trading that pick was essentially them saying we don't want to trade the chance at a franchise cornerstone for a couple of good good players that will help us win in the next couple of years like we they want to elongate their run not just go for it the next couple of years which I think is the right move personally this is a Beautiful transition to the GM fit segment because I want you to step into the, that role. And what do you want? Do you want them to go after Giannis? Do you want? Do you want to try and elongate by building through the draft and maybe getting another mid-level guy or two? What's the best strategy going forward to try and still win championships with Stephen Clay? Yeah. So a lot of this changes with the Clay injury, right? So. Yeah. Before, I'd say no-brainer, you go for Giannis no matter what. Like, the, in order for it to happen, it'll have to be a trade because of the salary cap, you know, which was a lot of, like, you know, it was never going to happen. But Wiggins in the second pick was, like, the rumor package they would send, um, which was just ridiculous. Like, wait, Wiggins Wiggins is, is Wiggins, you know. He's, he's basically Harrison Barnes, but worse. Um, so, I, I think them getting Oubre was, like, a very shrewd, shrewd move. Basically, like you have a give up a lightly like a protected first for him. He's a good player who fits. Like they need guys who who can are long and defend. And like 
So, so if you have the chance to get Giannis, you do it 100%. I would do it. That's a great move. If you could do it without giving up Wiseman, that's even better, but they, I would assume the Bucks would probably want him in return. Um, you know, they're not going to be in the free agent market. I don't think that much. It's more going to be the low level signings. Like I know they were rumored to be going after Marcus all this year, which would have been like a very good fit. You know, they're going to be looking for those like Obaka is another one. Like those, those guys who are, who have already won a championship, maybe, you know, have played in a couple finals who are looking for a ring that want to basically latch on and play with Stephen Clay and Draymond and, and, you know, all these guys. So like, I, I think they're going to be out of the star hunting business, at least for the next couple of years. Um, Cause like if those guys go to free agency, they're not going to be able to get them unless they move out significant money. And the only way you do that is if you're moving Clay or Draymond. And I think, I, th- I think personally they view those three as like they're Tim Duncan, Manu and Tony Parker. Like those are our three guys. They're going to be statues of them outside the Bay. We're going to retire all their numbers. Like they are, they are warriors for life. Stephen Clay specifically, like those two are not going anywhere ever. I don't think they'd ever trade Clay. I know like Lacob when he bought the team, Clay was his first, the first draft pick when he was the owner. So like him and Clay apparently have like a very special relationship. There's, there's like a really funny story of, after game six against OKC in 2016, when, you know, the clay game, uh, Lakeham was in the locker room and started bowing down to clay when he walked in. So like, I don't, I don't think they're ever going to trade clay. Um, they, they're going to need to keep finding shooting and wings to basically supplant clay and, and Steph and Draymond guys who can shoot and defend high IQ players. That's why I, I love the Pascal pick last year. Um, like he went to Villanova. He's a smart player. He knows how to play the game. He's going to continue to get better. He's, he's old. He's like 23, but he knows how to play the game. Uh, even a guy like Jordan Poole, he went to Michigan, another, you know, another school that under John Beeline, they played a modern style of, of basketball. Like it wasn't like watching Syracuse or Duke play where they, you know, have these toilet bowl offenses. They move the ball, they move people, they're cutting and spacing and all this. So like they're going to continue to look for those type of guys. You know, I know they, they drafted Nico Mannion out of Arizona. He was their second-round pick. You know, they're, they're going to look for guys like that who know how to play. So, like, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit of both. Like, if they have the chance – they're like Pat Riley in the heat. Like, if they have the chance to go get a star, they're going to. Um, but I think they're, the way they want to build is through the draft. Uh, they have this Minnesota pick next year, which, in my opinion, can easily be top five. Like, it's top three protected, but – they're gonna have they're gonna have a couple lottery picks in the next couple of years because I don't see the Timberwolves being much better than they've been, um, which is another reason why the Wiggins trade was probably a, a good move for them specifically because D'Lo is just not a fit with Stephen Clay. Um, just, it just doesn't it didn't work. I, I get Steve Kerr reading from in between the lines. Steve Kerr did not like D'Lo's game and the style he played. So, you know, I think they're gonna be doing that stuff. Um, it's. It, it really just all hinges on Draymond and, and Clay at this point. I think Steph is still going to be Steph. I don't think any of that's changing. Maybe he's a little slower than he was. He's not, you know, five years is a long time in the NBA. He's a smaller guard. He's taken a lot of punishment through the years, but he's still Steph Curry, and he's still the best shooter I've ever seen. So I think he's going to have, like, a, an elongated prime here where he could still, you know, he's not, he's not going to win any more MVPs, but he could be all NBA for sure the next couple of years. So. You know, I think they need to continue to develop um, the guys like Wiseman, like Poole, like Pascal, and they need Wiggins and Oubre to become like actual pieces for them. So 
I think those are the moves they'll they'll be the you know distressed asset type moves. You know, a guy like Oubre had a career year with the Suns, but they wanted to upgrade to Chris Paul, so they need to move his money out. And like those are the type of moves they're going to be looking to make. What's your biggest concern about the way they're built right now going forward, still trying to be competitive? So bench scoring is going to be a major problem. Um, even the way they used to stagger step and clay, one of them was kind of always on the floor. Um, and now with clay gone, like they're, they're going to, Kerr has already said they're like planning to tie Draymond and Steph together um, because like they're picking the pick and roll between Steph and Draymond is basically how they're going to run their offense this year. It's not going to be the usual, the old school, like guys running off screens and all that, just because that's not their personnel. Um, so I think, Bench scoring is probably the big – before the season, I would have said defense, but watching them the other night, the defense might honestly be their one of their biggest strengths. Like, they're long. They have a lot of guys with, like, Inspector Gadget arms. Like, Oubre has a seven-foot wingspan. Wiggins has a long wingspan. Uh, Pascal, uh, Marquise Chris, you know, and they didn't even have Wiseman or Draymond playing. So, those two guys are – I think defense might honestly be a strength for them this year, and, and they look like – they look like those early, those Mark Jackson teams in terms of how they defended the other night. Um, so bench scoring to me, like they, they're going to have to be able to survive those minutes when Steph is not on the floor, whether it's Jordan Poole taking another leap. I know they kind of, after he got sent to the G league last year, he came back, they kind of used him more like how he should be used as like a secondary ball handler, not just like a spot up shooter, which I think is more his game. He looked like he got a little bigger and stronger too, which I think is good because he'll be able to get to the rim a little easier. Um, they're going to need one of those secondary pieces. So like the Wiggins is the Oubre's, the Pascal's, the Pools, to take a leap this year and to be like a legitimate scorer of a second unit, because without that, they're, they're going to struggle to score when Steph is not on the floor, which is like already a problem in the past when they had Clay and KD and, and all them, like you look at the plus minus numbers when, when Steph was off the floor, everything just dropped, you know, because he just changes everything. Cause you know, he gets the ball over half court and all of a sudden defense is thinking about it. I mean, you even saw it last night, like yeah. the, the, the other night, like guys were leaving wide open guys in the corner to come guard Steph in transition and just a quick pass. And like guys need to hit those shots. So bench scoring, secondary scoring is definitely going to be the biggest key for them this year. So real quick, before we have our little fun riff where we shit on hockey for being in like, you know, 1968. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to ask generally what you think about the league going into this year. Is it basically the Lakers title to lose? Do you think there's anyone who can make a big leap that we're not thinking of potentially could give the Lakers a hard time? Yeah. Before the, before the, before free agency, I would have said the Clippers, I still think have a chance just because Kawhi is still Kawhi. And you know, the heat, the East is going to be, the East continues to get better. Mm-hmm. And the West is a bloodbath too, but I, I think it's the Lakers title to lose. I loved what they did in free agency. Getting Schroeder was an unbelievable move. Like Rob Palenka gets a lot of shit just because like some of his quote, I mean, the KCP quote from back in the day is, is like <laughs> some of the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, but he made some really good moves. Like getting Trez from the Clippers was huge. Uh, getting Schroeder. Marcus Saul is just like such a big upgrade over the JaVale and Dwight Howard minutes. I mean, like those guys are good players, JaVale and Dwight, but like, Marcus Saul is a different level. Like he, he, he's a, he's a basketball player, not just an athlete. You know, like I was just watching clips before of his passing and he makes them such a better team already. So I think it's the Lakers to lose, but I do think there's like the second tier of teams. They all made moves that got them a little better. You know, Milwaukee brought in Drew Holiday, the Sixers 
Scott Morey and basically has decided we're going to surround Simmons and be with shooting, which like, duh, that's what they should have been doing this entire time. That's when they were at their best a couple of years ago, like when the Embiid, everyone always talks about Embiid and Simmons, how they can't play together. And it's just not true because two years ago when they had JJ Redick and Ilyasova and Bellinelli and all those guys, they did play together and they were bludgeoning teams uh, with that lineup out there. So they got a little better in my opinion. The Celtics, I think Tatum's a star. He's going to take another leap. Um, Losing Hayward hurts because they basically have no room for error at this point. Like if any of their big four guys miss time, they're, kind of hurting but I still you know I'm not putting I've been wrong about Jason Tatum literally at every single step of his career from college so I'm done putting a ceiling on that guy uh who else the Nets obviously like if they could figure out their defense and how they're gonna you know supplant their Kyrie Katie pair I think they're right up there too and in the west I mean you got you know another year of better for Jokic and and Murray and Luka is just awesome. un- unbelievable. He's just amazing. You know, I like Dame and McCollum are still there and the Warriors aren't going to give them a run for their money, but they're still the Warriors. And like I said, I'll never count out Steph Curry. So I, I think the Lakers are the clear top team, but I don't think, I, I don't think it's like when, when we were going into the, the years when KD was on the Warriors, like, yeah, you know, it's their, their, their title to lose. Like, I still think it's basically the Lakers are the favorite, but I would not be shocked if any of those other teams, you know, gave them a run for their money. But but they really did. Their offseason was fantastic. Like the Schroeder signing in general was just amazing. Like or the trade that was just tremendous work. Yeah, we we all gave Palinka a lot of shit for being just kind of in the right place at the right time. The way Magic just kind of up and left when it was supposed to be the two of them together. But he got LeBron and they 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 figured it out that that. It, it's easy when you can get LeBron to come to your team and everyone else kind of just falls in place because they want to play with LeBron. But at the end, you got to be able to do it. They got Davis. They traded away the right players. I still don't know if Kuzma is actually good or not. I, he's I not. Enjoy, Kuzma's I, not good. I enjoy the way he gets clowned on Twitter. He's a, yeah. he's a good villain on Twitter. So now we get to have fun where we just get to talk about why basketball translates so much better to like the rest of the world than hockey. What, in your mind, is the biggest problem hockey has in terms of just getting people to care? How much time keep you it, got? Um, keep it under two hours. I was going to say. So, like, to, to me, there's blame to go around to everyone, right? So, first off, the worst thing that ever happened to the league was McDavid ending up in Canada. The, the worst happened because if, if just the way the TV thing set up, like, he never gets to play on national TV in the States. And on top of that, he plays at 1030 most of the time. And like, no one's watching hockey at 1030. No one's even watching it at like 8 p.m. to begin with. So, you know, that was a, a huge just shot to the, the way they could have marketed it. Because if that guy's in the States, you're, he's everywhere. He's playing on national TV 40 times a year. Um, even if it's in like Columbus or some shit, like he would have been on TV no matter what. Uh, the second thing is that like, just no one knows who these guys are. Like just they, they, hockey leans into its niche sport like outlook that everyone has of it which is a terrible way to do it because that's not helping grow that's just making the rabid fan base that already roots for it like it more and no one else care about it you know like the way they market the game is brutal like I I saw them put on like a something the other day of like a kid on a hoverboard shooting it's like 
how is that relatable to people a kid on a hoverboard like are you kidding me that's like just elite like this kid clearly comes from money or some shit uh, it's just brutal and it, it's you know like they still try to push the original six teams all the time even though half of them are most more than half of them are just not good right now yeah. i mean the rangers and blackhawks are both rebuilding the canadians are a good they're a good team but like they don't have any stars on their team right now the red wings are atrocious and the bruins you know their time is coming to an end it's it's the end of their run the end of the run we've had of them over the past 10 years so like they they've just dropped the ball on putting new teams out there like if i was running the tv i would have the avalanche on whenever possible mm-hmm. like nathan mckinnon is is a star like he's a legitimate star he should be one of the he's one of the few players who like seems to get it like i always think about when remember way back when when jalen ramsey was like <laughs> You, you teach me how to skate and I'll be the best player in the league. And all the guys got so like bent out of shape about it. And Nathan McKinnon was like, I think it was hysterical. Like it, you clearly see he was just doing stuff to get a rise out of people. I was like, thank God. Like at least someone gets it. Like he, he would be patient zero for me. I'd have him on every national TV game, put him on TV as much as possible. Even um, though he's just the mid-level exception in no, the NBA. Oh, it's disgraceful. <laughs> Uh, see, that's another thing. The contracts are, are like, there's no, there's so little player movement in the NHL that I think it comes back to hurt. Um, but like at the same time, the NBA right now is even having like to grapple with that, like the player movement. When is it too much? Like the Harden stuff, I think has been like the straw that's broken the camel's back where it's like, okay, like I'm all for player empowerment. You want to pick your spot, like be my guest free agency. You got there. You have one year left on your contract. Use it as leverage as much as you want. But this guy has three years left on his deal. You know, he's basically run the franchise for four or five years. Like, that's, like, too much to me, even for me. Like, I, I love it all, but that's where I, like, draw the line. You know, the AD stuff was pushing it. But even then, like, I understand. He was a year out from free agency. He's been on this team for eight years. They've done nothing to help him. What, ask out, fine. The, the hard and stuff just – it goes a little too far for me, but – you know, the NHL, they have seven-year contracts. You know, all these – like, that's just so long. And it takes guys – what is it? ELC is three years, and then, then you're an RFA for basically three or four years. Yeah, three to four, depending how old you are, yeah. Yeah, and that's just, like, crazy. You don't get to free agency until you're 27 in hockey. Yeah, it's like MLB, basically, yeah. where, like, these guys, are, they're past their prime, essentially, by the time they're free agents, and it sucks, like – like if I was, I, I, this, this was all brought on by the pandemic, which is mm-hmm. great. But like all these guys signed like bridge deals now, high mm-hmm. AAV bridge deals. And I would do that. If I was an agent, I'd do that every single time. My guys be like, you need to keep your options open. Like Connor McDavid is, is locked into Edmonton for, for like eight more years. And it's like, if, they, if he asks for a trade, they're not going to trade him because they're like, you're here for eight years. Like you have no leverage. And you know, if he was on a three-year deal, he could easily be like, look, you better start getting your shit together or I'm out. I'm leaving. And that's the problem to me. Like, if I had to pick one thing I would love to change about the NHL is the contracts. Like, guys who sign their ELCs make it like the NBA. Four years, fifth year, you're an RFA. If, if, they, if they want to keep you, they can. If not, you're a free agent. Like, you're 24 and you're a free agent now. You get to choose where you want to play. It would help the offseason buzz about this league so much get people talking about it. Like, like Nathan McKinnon was a free agent this year. He's like 20, 25, 26. Now that would be huge. That would be like Kawhi levels of, 
or for at least for the NHL, like, where is he going to sign? Like, who's in? Where do you meet? Where's he flying to? What do you put on his Instagram page? Like, that type of stuff. Um, it, it's just the, the NHL. And this stuff now with the lockout possibly happening is just terrible. I mean, they just shoot themselves in the foot over and over again. Like, like they, they should be building off the success of their bubble. It was, it was a massive success. Even someone who hates everything they do, like me, I can recognize that. They had no positive cases. They got it off, and it was a pretty good playoffs. Like, you know, no one watched it, but it was a pretty good playoffs. So they should have been building off that, and instead the owners didn't read the fucking MOA they had, and now they're trying to go back on deals, and it's just like, how, how bad? Like, do you think TV, TV stations or networks are going to want to pick this shit up in three years? Like, ESPN is going to lowball them so badly when they become up for a new TV deal. I I've, I keep going back and forth on what they should do with the TV deal because still at the end of the day, no one at ESPN is going to give a shit about hockey because they just have too much invested in basketball and football. And hockey's always just going to be the sport for the hardos on Twitter to complain about how come he's not playing because he has a leg cramp and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Where you just see the mindless replies. Like there's an entire, and there's a market of people who eat that shit up that these are the toughest guys in sports and they only care about winning and they care about the team name and they don't care about themselves and that kind of thing. When it's like, these are athletes, they're people, this is entertainment. This isn't the army. These aren't all replaceable faces. Connor McDavid and Zach Cassian are not equals. They, there needs to be a pecking order here. And we need to establish that, you know, it's okay if a guy wants to leave a team and try and make something of himself. We're not, this isn't a cult we want people to enjoy this it's it's rough man because we there's a part of my brain that goes hockey discourse would be amazing if we were just shitting on people on hockey like it was the nba like if the kyle kuzma of hockey was popping off and just like i'm trying to think who the kuzma of hockey is it's just like it's just brutal man it's really brutal like people don't even know who the they get they get killed in the pre pregame pregame stuff because they don't say anything. They've been trained since they were like fourteen to not say anything, which sucks too because like some of these guys are hysterical. Yeah, and like some of them are cool. like I always go back to Nathan McKinnon. Nathan McKinnon seems like a really cool dude. Like he listens to rap music, you know. Like West, uh, I I forgot who it was either West Side Gun or Benny the Butcher was like wearing his jersey and like I, I forgot who wrote it for the Athletic, but. He was like, yeah, I saw that. That's sick. Like, I, I, I love that guy's music. I'm hyped. He's listening to my – he's wearing my jersey. Like, stuff like that. It, it, they release cool retro jerseys, and then they're like 100 – they're like 300, 400 bucks to get them. They're more than a PS5. I, I, it's just the, – the sport has so many problems, and it's just – we haven't even touched on the amount of racism. That, as it yeah. Is. Like, there's, there's so much shit going on with that. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just a, the, the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance deciding not to work with the NHL. I mean, that's a horrible look for the league. And it got glossed over because, like, the sport is just – it's sad to say. It's like a white person sport. And yeah. it really sucks. It really sucks. Because people would enjoy it if they got into it because it is awesome. Playoff hockey is insane. This happens every single spring where I'll be hanging out with my friend – We'll be just, you know, someone's house, whatever, flicking through the channels. I'm like, put this on. There's playoff hockey on. And everyone just puts down their phone and you're just glued to the TV. This summer, because we, you know, pandemic had to be outside. We are outside on my buddy's deck, drinking beers, 
watching the avalanche and in the second round watching the avalanche stars yeah against the stars and just everyone glued to the tv yelling every single odd man rush down the ice scoring chances playoff hockey is perfect for getting people's attention because it's so intense then you get to the regular season the slog i know we've rambled on and on but fitz and i share this mutual hatred and we we had to get this out this is therapy it's been too it's been boiling for too long yeah so the last thing before we sign off let everyone go what is Papa Fitz's opinion of how the Rangers are, are building the team right now? He's pretty excited, man. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's fired up. Uh, I'm sure he'll probably call one of the next young defensemen, Brian Leach, like he does every couple of years, the next Brian Leach. He did that, I think, with Delzato, McDonough. Uh, he might have said it, Neil Pionk, after one of those spin moves, which was wild. It was like, I was like you're out of your mind, man. And maybe Shea at some point he did too. Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, he's pretty excited. I mean, it's hard not to be excited right now about the Rangers. I mean, they definitely have problems, and they have a lot of, you know, the Jack Johnson signing is not going to be great. But you know, they have a lot of young kids, and it's an exciting time. Like, laugh, Lafreniere is looks like the real deal. So, you know, it's hard not to be excited about where they're going. At some point during hockey season, Fitz will come back and we will be clowning ourselves for being optimistic about the Rangers when they have lost <laughs> five in a row to the Bruins, Flyers, Penguins, Capitals, and Hurricanes. But oh, we can at least be a little bit happy. We, we got a guy. We think we got a guy. That, that's what we got. We got our Steph Curry of hockey is what we're hoping. Oh, God let's pray. That's what we got in Lafreniere. Fitz, where can the people find you if, you if they were so inclined to want to hear more takes? <laughs> Yeah, so I'm on Twitter uh, at FitzGSN underscore. Um, I'll be talking about everything, you know, just yeah. just uh, a lot of sports on these days. It's fun. It's a good time to be a sports fan. So it's, uh, that's where you can all shoot me a message. I'm, I'm much tamer now than I used to be. So <laughs> I miss uh, aggressive fits. Yeah, I'm, I'm too old. I'm too old and too tired. <laughs> so now I just make jokes. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. I'll be there. And uh, as always, man, Nick, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm sure when Syracuse eventually does fire Jim Beheim or he dies, one of the two, I will have a Syracuse-specific episode for you to just have the floor. It'll be, I don't want to say like a firing squad of Jim Beheim, but that's the vibe we'll be going for. When he retires, man, it'll be one of the happiest days of my life. You Maybe the happiest. You got a bottle of champagne or a cigar hidden somewhere for that dinner? I've been waiting for six years. (laughs) All right, Fitz, thank you. I will be back on an episode for Friday, looking ahead to college football bowl season, championship weekend, Rutgers-centric episode. Yes, you heard that right. Rutgers football is good enough to have an episode this week. So I'll see you guys then. See you.